When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. A listener note. This podcast contains strong language and disturbing content. Uh, well, I've been working on my car down, the, down in my garage for a couple of hours. Um, well, I'm sorting... Um, this is um, Derek Thompson... For many years, he ran a building company with his wife, Wendy. I've just given you dinner. I hope it was satisfactory. Um, And it's nice to meet you both. One day, the police got in touch. One of the Thompson's employees was to be arrested. It's something in my life that, uh, that happened that turned into something big and extraordinary. That employee was Fred West. Of all the people in all the world, I employed Fred. It all happened so quick, Fred left some of his belongings behind. Oh, it's his lunchbox. Fred's lunchbox. It's been in my garage down the bottom there for years, I suppose. It's filthy, so it's wrapped up in plastic. Oh, it's still dirty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rose probably used to uh, put his sandwiches in that in the morning. Off he used to go in my van all over the country and local. It did have some old sandwiches in it when I first had it, but I threw them away. French sandwiches? (laughs) Yeah, I should have kept them, I suppose. He didn't have a chance to eat his sandwiches that last day, Mm. did he? something else this is unheard the fred and rose west tapes episode nine the unraveling i'm howard soons author of fred and rose for 25 years now i've been trying to understand fred and rose west and the events that led up to the discovery of human remains at 25 cromwell street Derek and Wendy Thompson have a unique perspective on the case. They employed Fred West in the 1990s and they watched as his secret life with Rose finally unravelled. Take the first exit to Gloucester Street. This is where I always go wrong. Recently I went back to see the Thompsons at home in the Cotswolds, 50 minutes from Gloucester. I think this is roughly right. 
I was there to hear about the day Fred was caught. But before that, we should go back to the start of Derek's and Wendy's unwitting association with a mass murderer. The Thompsons Building Company didn't employ many people, but in the 1980s, they took on some new contracts. We were busy, and I was looking for another, you know, general uh, worker, somebody who could turn their hands to several jobs. Fred answered Derek's advert in the local paper, the Gloucester Citizen. It turned up on a Sunday morning with the whole family in a sort of minibus type yeah, of thing. He arrived here, we asked him in. He, did, he had sandals on. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't look particularly smart. That's right, yeah. And where, what, did he, what did he say about where he'd just been? Oh, church. Well, yeah. he was trying to make himself, you know, uh, seem presentable to me, to, to me, yeah, respectable, yes, yes. for me to employ him. Did we go out to the I did. I went out to make sure they were OK or ah, something, because right. you were in here with Fred. I think yeah, I just went out and said, hello, are you OK? Do you want to come in? Because uh, <laughs> she affected this slightly peculiar, overgrown schoolgirl. She, right. she had pigtails... Not a school uniform, but not dissimilar to a school uniform. Mm. And little white socks. Little white socks. Yes. And yet she was a woman in her, what, 30s? Yes. And yes. did you think she was a peculiar sort of person? Yes. Yeah. Just odd. Derek wasn't sure about Fred. I gave him two weeks and uh, <clears throat> we were working in a big autistic home at that time. And so I sent him there and I went over to meet him. And he turned up with a, a Tesco's bag with a hammer and a chisel in. And that was his tools when he had been telling me he had all, all, every tool there was in the building trade. Fred was no craftsman, but once Derek sorted him out with some tools... He proved himself to be a very hard worker. Whatever the job was, whatever the problem was, he would ring me up at the end of the day and say, it's all done. No, no, no. He'd ring you up and he'd say, oh, it was a nightmare, Dad, yeah, but right. I've done it. He was never a perfect tradesman, but the other guys would want to finish on a Friday night, but he would want to carry on. He wanted to work Saturday, Sunday, Christmas Eve, you name it, Christmas Day, he would, he would want to work. And whatever, whatever, middle of the night, I could ring him up and say, Fred, we've got this emergency somewhere. And he'd just say, I'm on the way. It's like changing a light bulb or, or there's a leak in the toilet or the toilet's blocked. So he was ideal for that. He didn't mind putting his hands and his arms down drains and, you know, all that sort of thing. When Derek was with Fred, he couldn't get a word in edgewise. He would talk incessantly property that he owned all over the place. You know, I didn't ring true to me, and I didn't necessarily, you know, believe it. He would start talking about events or orgies or whatever he liked to call them, just making up things as he went along. And he always came back from the motorway where there'd been a huge accident and there was bodies and blood all over the place. You know, about this nightmare journey he'd had up to Birmingham or, you know, and there was a huge accident at Worcester and all this sort of thing. Derek didn't pay much attention to Fred's stories, thinking he was talking a lot of nonsense. It was an effective cover, up to a point. 
One day in August 1992, the Thompsons received a phone call. It was the police. They rang us up and said, look, we need to um, arrest one of your employees. They needed Derek's help. So I got him to come here. I needed to talk to him about something or whatever I said. And he came here and the police were here in the house in civvies, not in uniform. And he arrived and they arrested him on the lawn. At the front of the house. How did he react to this? He was quite... It didn't, he appeared quite blasé yeah. yeah. about it. He didn't it. seem to be all excited about I it. I think, think he looked at you and said, oh, I'll be back soon. Yeah. At the same time, there was a raid on 25 Cromwell Street with police seizing hardcore pornography, while social workers took the five youngest West children into care. Fred and Rose were then charged in connection with child sexual offences. The West weren't allowed to see each other while they awaited trial, so Fred had to live in a bail hostel in Birmingham. But for the Thompsons, life went on as normal. We were leading busy lives. <clears throat> we were busy at work. We were um, doing motocross at the we time, three kids, three kids mm. and he just wasn't there and he'd been taken away. That was 12 months virtually, wasn't it, that we had nothing to do with him, never spoke to him or anything. I don't think but, he even rang us. But that. I don't think we knew any details of what, it, of what was actually going no, on. No, we didn't want to be interested, really. If Derek and Wendy had known the full details of the allegations of child sexual abuse, they may have been more disturbed. The police first became suspicious about Cromwell Street when a child told an officer that a friend was being sexually abused. This started an investigation by police and social services. In June 1993, the West went on trial at Gloucester Crown Court. Fred was charged with the rape of a young girl and another sexual offence rose with inciting him to abuse the girl and cruelty. But the trial didn't proceed. This is how it was reported in the Gloucester Citizen under the headline, Couples Delight, a Sex Case is Dropped. It went on, Husband and wife, Frederick and Rosemary West, hugged in the dock yesterday after child sex charges against them were dropped. The Gloucester couple were due to stand trial at the City Crown Court accused of serious offences against a young girl, but the defendants were cleared by the judge before a jury could be sworn in after the prosecution agreed to offer no evidence. At the last minute, key prosecution witnesses refused to give evidence. It was a disturbing echo of Fred walking free from court in 1961 when his sister declined to give evidence against him. Now, yet again, Fred and Rose walked free. As soon as he was released, Fred called up his old boss, Derek Thompson. And he said, it's all over. They've, um, they can't call any witnesses and they've dropped the charges. When can I start? I was probably a bit sort of quiet for a minute, maybe, thinking about what was going on. And I said, well, I'll have to think about it, Fred. I didn't say, you know, right, come in. You know, straight away. But I had bought this house in Gloucester, which I wanted to uh, renovate at that time. 
I thought it would be quite a good job to put him in there because at that time I didn't know whether to put him back out onto jobs, you know, our normal customers and that sort of thing or not. And so uh, it didn't happen, actually, because I was so busy. As soon as he came back, he went straight back into doing jobs again and he came back and, and carried on. Most people may have wanted nothing more to do with Fred West considering he'd been accused of raping a child. But Derek took Fred back, and he was soon working as hard as ever. Late nights, weekends, Fred didn't want holidays. But the authorities still had grave concerns about the Wests. Their five youngest children were taken into permanent foster care for their protection, and Heather was still unaccounted for. At the same time, a social worker told the police that one of the children had mentioned a family joke in the house. They joked that Dad had killed Heather and buried her under the garden patio. And if the others weren't careful, they'd end up there as well. This is a tape of me speaking to Detective Chief Inspector Terry Moore, who became number two in the murder inquiry. Can I ask you one last thing? Yeah. And I promise I won't ring you again. OK. Uh, and you might not be able to answer this. After the child abuse trial collapsed, the whereabouts of Heather West were creating concerns. In August of that year, we were actually told by social services, hey, do you remember that elder daughter, Heather? She's actually gone missing. And, of course, well, we knew that there was a, uh, a daughter, Heather, uh, and the suggestion being that she'd gone off of her own accord. But it wasn't until we were alerted by social services again that alarm bells, I suppose, didn't ring, but they gently twanged in the background somewhere. The police were now taking an interest in Heather's disappearance, but the Wests insisted there was no cause for concern. We'd asked Rose about it, Rose's lies seemed to be working. She and Fred were saying Heather was alive and well, having left home in 1987 to work at a holiday camp. They said they still heard from her occasionally. If parents say, we're quite happy that our eldest daughter, age 16, has gone off and has got herself a job somewhere, Mm. and she's not reported as missing, Mm. we don't really want to be involved with that. We've got more than enough to do with those that have gone missing, and there is some concern about. But as the police looked further into it, there were worrying signs. It is very, very difficult for somebody to go totally missing, because either there's going to be that they sign on with a doctor... The following year, on Thursday, the 24th of February, 1994, Derek Thompson received another phone call about Fred. We were doing this job just in the next valley, 
to where we are, just over the back couple of miles away. And um, and the phone rang, and it was Rose, and uh, she said, "Where's Fred?" And I said, well, he's working, I uh, can't speak to him because his phone doesn't work there. And to speak to him, I'm going to have to ring the customer. That's what I did. And she said, um, I want Fred. She was sort of almost screaming like, really. She wasn't just talking normally. And uh, she said, uh, he needs to be here. He said, the, the police have arrived and they want to dig in the garden. And so I said, OK, I'll get hold of him one way or the other. So I rang the customer and I said, can I speak to Fred? Fred came to the phone and I said, Fred, Rose wants you. She says that the police uh, have arrived at the house and they want to dig the garden up. I never, I never had a word from him. The phone, phone went down and uh, I never heard his voice again. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Derek Thompson, Fred West's boss, had just told him the police were at his house at Cromwell Street with a warrant to dig up the back garden. Wendy Thompson remembers what happened next. He just got in the van, didn't say goodbye to the customer or anything, he just got in the van and went, and then he went missing. It all went quiet, and I was ringing him on his brick, you know, this phone mobile he still had. And um, so I decided to go up there to see how he'd left the job. You know, the roof could have been gaping open or something. <laughs> 
So I went up there, went up in the roof, and the steps and the light and everything were just how he, he just came down the steps, and he drove off in his van, and nobody knew what he did for the rest of that afternoon. Six hours later, Fred resurfaced. He turned up at Gloucester Police Station telling the detectives he'd seen Heather, she was alive. Meanwhile, at Cromwell Street, police had started to lift the patio slabs in the garden. Questioned by police, Rose admitted that she'd heard the family's story about what might be under the patio, but she dismissed it as a joke. When detectives told her they feared Heather was dead, Rose said sarcastically, Oh, you're lovely, aren't you? That evening, Derek Thompson still hadn't heard what had happened to Fred. Finally, he got hold of Steve West, Fred's and Rose's teenage son. And I said, as he turned up, and he said, yeah, he's here, he's up, he's gone for a walk up the road with Mum. Fred and Rose were not kept in custody that night. As they walked their dogs together in Gloucester Park that evening, they must have discussed the investigation. Did they make a plan and rehearse their story. When they got home, they found a police officer standing guard in the garden. He would stand there all night. It was to be Fred's last night at 25 Cromwell Street. The next morning, Fred took police officers aside and confessed. He had killed Heather... Fred and Rose were both arrested, but Fred insisted he alone committed the crime. That evening, he was brought back to the house and pointed out where he thought Heather was. The following day, when the police were searching an area around the back door for Heather's remains, they found a bone it was shown to the pathologist, Professor Bernard Knight. He immediately identified a human thigh bone, female and probably young. Soon more bones came to light. Search conditions in the garden were horrendous. The pit was sticky with decomposed human flesh and mud. The smell was appalling. The bones were all jumbled up and many were missing. But one thing became clear. There were three thigh bones. This is the senior investigating officer, Detective Superintendent John Bennett, as he briefed me on the case. And uh, it was then... Other events took place where we do. We weren't looking for one anymore. Down at the station, Fred admitted to two more killings. A woman named Shirley Robinson and another woman whose name he didn't seem to know. Let's put it this way. I decided that with three in the garden... We were digging the house properly.
On Sunday, the 27th of February, the police took Fred back to Cromwell Street and he showed them where he'd buried Shirley and the other woman. The police continued digging. The following Friday, Fred amazed detectives. He said he'd killed approximately nine more. He couldn't be sure. The police began a full-scale excavation of the house, but they kept Fred's nine more confessions secret. The whole house had been cleared of everything. Everything. There was nothing in there. And the next thing was that the floor was coming up and the floor uh, in the cellar was well underway of being removed. On Saturday, the 5th of March, while police were digging in the cellar, I received the tip-off that 25 Cromwell Street was full of human remains. My story was published the next day as police recovered more bones. I described 25 Cromwell Street as a house of horrors and suddenly the case was all over the papers, the radio and TV. I got up the, the next morning, as I came down about 7 o'clock, something like that, and it was on the news. I put the television on, and uh, it was on the news, and there was Cromwell Street. Named of three women in the garden. A builder, Frederick West, has been charged with their murders. And all I could see was my van, with our business name, completely surrounded by reporters. ...inside the house, and another grim find for detectives. What they suspect as two further bodies under a concrete floor. Derek watched with astonishment. So did Jill Britt, the former Cromwell Street lodger. Fred! Fred! No, I couldn't get my head round it. And because I'd always been in contact with my friend Claire, I got on the phone to her. I said, What's this? She said, No, it's terrible. Over the next three months, police recovered the remains of 12 women and girls at four locations. In most cases, they didn't know the names of the victims, but gradually all 12 were identified. Even when they were identified, the 12 were often grouped together in the press as victims, as if they were of a type. But each was an individual with her own unique story. Some came from broken homes, but that wasn't true of them all. Most had been abducted to satisfy the West's sexual desires, but others were murdered because they posed a threat to Fred and Rose. The pathologist Bernard Knight discovered that in virtually every case, the victims had been decapitated and dismembered. Numerous bones were missing from the graves, and there was evidence that most victims had been gagged, tied up, and even tortured. Detectives numbered the remains 1 to 12 in the order they were recovered. Heather West's remains were found first. She was the West's eldest daughter and the most recent victim. There was rope in her grave, indicating she may have been tied up, contrary to Fred's story that he killed her in a rage. The third thigh bone found in the garden belonged to victim number two, a girl named Alison Chambers. 
Jill Britt, watching the investigation unfold in the news, recognised Alison's photograph. She remembered her from Cromwell Street. I just sort of happened to see her sat on our stairs as I was coming in. You're right there, you know, kind of attitude would talk to most people. She sort of had a mousy kind of hair, had sort of a fringe wisped out like Farrah Fawcett Majors, very fashionable at the time, curls. She was sat on the stairs and she said she's waiting for Fred Moe. All right then, mate. I just invited her up. Cup of tea, yeah, have a chat. Yeah. Jill was kind to Alison. And then she um, wrote notes and poetry, which I showed an interest. Oh, wow, that's really nice. Oh, that's lovely. And then she started sending sort of, like, quite, like, love notes to me. Right. Which I found a bit disturbing. I love mm-hmm. you, I love you. Mm-hmm. I got a bit concerned because I thought they sounded a bit sort of emotionally involved with me. Um, and so I kind of backed off, moved on to a new set of people, <laughs> you know. Didn't think of her much after that. Alison was living in care when she was befriended by the Wests. They fooled her into believing they owned a farm where she could come and live after she turned 17. A month before her birthday, in August 1979, Alison ran away from her care home, writing to her mother that she was living with a very homely family. Sixteen years later, when Alison's remains were found at Cromwell Street, her skull had a belt around it, evidence that the Wests had gagged her. Jill Britt also recognised the name of the third victim found, Shirley Robinson. When Jill came to lodge at 25 Cromwell Street in 1978, she moved into Shirley's old room. Did he make any allusion to the whoever the former occupant had been? Oh, no, no. It was just like, here we are, love, you know, this, uh, be it all right for you. Yeah, no problem. Shirley's personal story emerged slowly. Her father was in the Royal Air Force. Her parents split up and she was put into care. Then she became involved in prostitution. She met the West when she was 17 and came to lodge at Cromwell Street. Shirley slept with both Fred and Rose, then became pregnant with Fred's baby. When I spoke to Rose's mother, Daisy, she said everyone knew about this, though Fred tried to deny it. I'm, I'm not with that woman, he says. I've got the woman I want, he says. I've got Rose, he says. I don't want nobody else. Fred told his mother-in-law that he wasn't with Shirley. He didn't want anyone but Rose. But Shirley sent a photo of herself and Fred holding hands to her father, writing, This is the man I'm going to marry. There was no evidence Shirley had been tied up, but there was forensic evidence that her body had been hacked to pieces with terrible violence. Also, Shirley was eight months pregnant. The next victim found was a woman Fred described to police as Dutch or German, but Therese Siegenthaler was Swiss. Age 21, she'd been living in London, working in a shoe shop near Leicester Square. In April 1974, she set out to visit Ireland. She was in the habit of hitchhiking, 
telling friends that she could look after herself because she practiced judo. It's likely that Fred and Rose picked Therese up en route to the Hollyhead Ferry. She was one of four who were killed in a 12-month period in the 1970s. Her remains were the first of five found under the concrete floor of the basement at Cromwell Street. Shirley Hubbard was one of the youngest victims, only 15 when she went missing. Shirley lived with foster parents and had recently started work in a shop in Worcester. On the 14th of November 1974, she and her boyfriend went to the fair, then sat by the river eating fish and chips. He saw her onto her bus, arranging to meet her again the next day. But she never showed up. The evidence of her death is among the most disturbing. Shirley's head was completely wrapped in tape, with two plastic tubes inserted into her nostrils. The sixth set of remains were those of Lucy Partington, a 21-year-old medieval English student at Exeter University who went missing just after Christmas 1973. Her bones were in the cellar. So were remains number seven, Juanita Mott, who also went missing in 1973. We heard of her sister's search for her in episode seven. I asked Detective Superintendent Bennett about the next woman whose remains were found in the basement. Her name was Linda Goff. She was never reported to the police as a missing person, no. was she? No. no. We do believe that at some stage, uh, Mr Goff spoke to a policeman about what could be done about a girl that, that left home uh, of her own accord and had gone off on her own, you know, when she was an adult. Linda was the daughter of a senior Gloucester fireman and his wife. She had a boyfriend who lodged at Cromwell Street and became friendly with the Wests. In April 1973, when she was 19, Linda left home suddenly, leaving a note for her parents telling them not to worry, she had found a flat. Two weeks later, Linda's mother, June Goff, went to 25 Cromwell Street to ask after her. Rose initially denied that Linda had been there, but then June noticed Rose was wearing her daughter's slippers while her clothes were on the washing line. Fred came to the door and the Wests changed their story, telling Mrs Goff that Linda had been there, but she'd gone off with a boyfriend, leaving her clothes behind. Twenty-one years later, police found Linda's dismembered remains under the downstairs bathroom. She had been gagged with parcel tape. The charge relates to the ninth set of remains found in the cellar area at 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester. Caroline Cooper was 15 years old when she went missing from Worcester on Saturday the 10th of November 1973. Uh, she lived in a children's home in Bilton Road in Worcester. Remains nine were those of Carol Ann Cooper, who was 15 when she went missing in 1973. Carol was living in a children's home in Worcester 
she had her nickname, Kaz, tattooed on her left forearm. On the weekend of her disappearance, she went to the cinema with friends and was last seen boarding a bus to her grandmother's house. We don't know how Carol came to Cromwell Street, though it's likely Fred and Rose offered her a lift. Her dismembered remains were under the cellar, with evidence that she had been tied up and gagged, and she may have been stabbed. The remains of eight-year-old Charmaine West, the tenth, were found behind the West's old flat in Midland Road. Fred told the police he hadn't cut Charmaine up. He said he couldn't do that to a child, but she was dismembered just like all the others. The pile of soil has been growing by the hour. Visible evidence of the painstaking search now centred close to the village where Frederick West grew up. As was the case at Cromwell Street, this search is being conducted very much in the manner of an archaeological dig. A line of officers on their hands and knees moving across the scene, peeling away the layers of earth rather like the skin of an onion. Fred showed detectives where they would find his first wife, Rena, and Anna McFall in the fields near Much Markle. Police found Rena quickly in Letterbox Field, but they dug for weeks in Fingerpost Field for the twelfth and last set of remains. They finally found Anna and her unborn child in June, 115 days after the start of the murder inquiry. Of these 12 victims, only half had been formally reported missing to the police. After the discovery of these 12 sets of remains, the West story fell out of the news for a while as everybody prepared for one of the most sensational murder trials in years. When do you think this may come to trial? I haven't uh, have any idea. Do you think they'll be tried together? They're jointly charged, and again, that's a matter for the courts to decide. Fred will come up again next week. Rose is away for 28 days. The criminal date's not set. Then, as far as we're concerned, it should be sleeping, but, but the media don't want it to sleep. A few months later, it was New Year's Day, 1995. It was my first day at a new job. I'd moved from the Sunday to the Daily Mirror. I was setting up my new desk and thinking about celebrating my 30th birthday when breaking news flashed on the wires. As I dialed the number for Gloucester Police, my heart was thumping. I got a recorded message. 4.12pm on Sunday the 1st of... 
January, Inspector David Morgan, we can confirm that the Deputy Governor at HMP Winston Green in Birmingham has advised us that at about 1.40pm today, Frederick West was found dead in his cell. Fred West was dead. The circumstances are being reported to HM Coroner and will be investigated by West Midlands Police. He'd hanged himself. We are assisting the prison to inform relatives at the moment. I will be here for the foreseeable future, but we cannot enlarge upon that press statement. Could there be a trial without him? Next time on Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes. The trial of Rosemary West. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes was written and presented by Howard Soons. The producer was Paul Smith. The executive producer was Russell Finch. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The title music was composed by Shani Aviram with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Antonia Udunlami, Ben Maidley and Alice Lutchins. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West Tapes is a Something Else production. Also from Something Else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth, one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... God, don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.